Oklahoma can't be stopped on the recruiting trail. Got two more commits. And what are you doing, Scott Frost? We'll talk about all that on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Thank you for joining us here on Locked On Sooners, and thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. You can follow us on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all platforms. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can also read my work covering the Oklahoma Sooners over at thesoonerswire.com. He's Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref. And hey, for any Iowa Hawkeyes fans that are listening to this show, or if you've got a family member that's an Iowa Hawkeyes fan, tell them to go check out Hawkeyes Wire, where Josh is the managing editor over there. Josh, man, what a weekend we had for college football. Week zero came and went, and now we're in... Oklahoma week with UTEP. So, man, what a great weekend. Ah, speculation season. It's dead. It's gone. How blissful this is. It's over. It's tapped out. We're done. Uh, It was awesome to kick back and watch some football. Obviously, we've got some elongated thoughts to share with all of you on Scott Frost and that disaster in Nebraska building a lead and then coughing it up versus Northwestern. It was just great to see football again. We are here in game week for Oklahoma, baby. Giddy up. Let's go. We got our first look at Oklahoma's opponent and those reviews were not, not rousing for uh, the UTEP miners. Not great over there for UTEP, but Hey, it's here, baby. It's game week and Oklahoma right on fashion, John, for the way this summer has played out rolls into game week with, well, two more commitments in this uh, 2023 upcoming signing class for Oklahoma, one of which, right, with Anthony Evans, we kind of felt like was a little bit of a game day surprise. Yeah, talking with Parker Thune last week on the show, he said it was a coin flip at that point. Both Oklahoma and Georgia both felt confident that they were going to be able to land Anthony Evans, and it turned out that it was Oklahoma. I mean, what a great pickup for them. Now, he's not very highly rated, but he's a four-star player. But you cannot deny the guy's speed. I mean, he's got legit track speed. And then if you caught any of the highlights that are out there on Twitter, the dude's got hands. I mean, he made a catch like up over his head, you know, on a slant route and took it into the end zone. I mean, this guy is a complete player. And it's like something we've talked about on this show before is that a lot of times the rating isn't necessarily um, the, the true kind of idea of what a player is. Sometimes these these players are just under recruit or under um, underseen. They, they're not viewed uh, by the, the larger recruiting entities. You know, now they they're going into the junior senior year. They're starting to get seen a little bit more through camps, through their senior season, getting more game tape, and it kind of changes things for some of these players. I mean, we saw it with you know PJ Adabari. He went from a four star player to five star player during camp season. We saw it with Heath Ozida, same thing three-star player to a four-star player. Jackson Arnold earned his fifth star after winning the Elite 11 MVP. And so a lot of these guys are going to continue to grow in their their rating and their profile 
as the their senior season goes along. And I think Anthony Evans is going to be one of those. And yeah, he was the surprise commitment, dropped his commitment before the, the Macari Vickers commitment. But Oklahoma wins out over Georgia, which is a huge get. You just beat out the national champion for a highly coveted speed receiver. You can't teach speed. You just cannot. And to get that guy to come to Norman, that's huge. Big win for interim receivers coach L. Damian Washington. If he keeps that up, he's not going to have the interim title for long. He'll be full-time wide receivers coach for the Oklahoma Sooners. Huge get for them. I love, again, that Oklahoma kind of continues to mix and match on body types and skill sets at the wide receiver position. We saw coming in the first couple of wide receivers that Jeff Levy, as an offensive coordinator, got committed and signed to Oklahoma. Well, it was Jaden Gibson and Nick Anderson, bigger body type wide receivers. And then kind of along the way, John, the commitments, it's like each commitment you got for Oklahoma, it's like, man, Jeff Levy has a type that he likes at the wide receiver position. It's uh, those big bodied pass catchers, not your, not your five foot seven wide receiver, right? Your six foot three and above wide receiver. Well, now we get into with Anthony Evans, your burner, right? So now you're mixing and matching a little bit. If you're Oklahoma, five foot 11 is what he's listed on 24 seven sports right here. 167 pounds, obviously Oklahoma can and will add plenty of weight to his frame. But again, the speed factor, what you talked about, John, that's something that you can't coach up, right? Guys either have that speed or they don't. Anthony Evans does have that and who they who they beat out for the commitment. The fact that you're beating out the defending national champion in Georgia, I get it. Oklahoma should feel like they could beat Georgia in any recruitment, but right now, Georgia's got some serious momentum, John. I saw some fans uh, on social media kind of making that response like, yeah, well, you know, that's that's Georgia and Oklahoma should feel like they can always beat Georgia in a recruiting battle. This isn't Georgia from five, 10 years ago. This is Georgia, the defending national champion. So from that standpoint, it's significant. And obviously, Macari Vickers, we felt good about that. But just to continue to add to the defensive secondary, I love we talk about mixing and matching or I did right there with the wide receiver body types, John. I just love the fact that Oklahoma's mixing and matching offensive and defensive blue chippers. That's something that we saw in bits and pieces maybe with the previous staff, but it just feels like this class right now, I mean, you look at where it is nationally, it's all the way up to number four in the 24-7 sports composite, John. They're not done. They're going to add more to this class. And again, with these 22 commits, it's not like 15 of them are high-profile offensive guys. I mean, it is truly balanced. Yeah, so I just did a quick count over there at you know 24-7 sports, and it's even. It's 11 guys projected to play offense, 11 guys projected to play defense now heading into the 2022 season. I mean, that's about as balanced as you can be, and you've got multiple players at most every position. I mean, you've got a couple guys that can play offensive tackle in you know, Heath Ozida and Caden Green. You've got a couple interior offensive linemen in Logan Howland and Josh Bates. You've got a couple wide receivers. You know, you add to your wide receiver core with Anthony Evans. You had Jaquez Petaway, another big speed guy. I mean, you got two running backs and Caleb Hicks. And now I'm blanking on the other guy. Um, and you got multiple linebackers. You got multiple defensive ends. Like you're, you're projecting to have a blue chip class as things stand now and a, probably a blue chip player at every single position, which is huge for this team as they look to go into the sec in the future. I mean, obviously this 2023 class, there are going to be guys that have an impact on next season, 
but really, and that could be their first year in the SEC, but really it's going to be 2024, 2025, where these guys are going to be the core of this team. And yeah, adding Makari Vickers, I mean, we kind of felt like that was going to be the case all along, but now you add another guy who's a versatile defensive back. You get him on, on campus in Norman, and then you can kind of figure out what his best position is going to be. He could be a great corner. He could be a great defensive back or a safety. He's got the athleticism to do both and do both really, really well. He's got good ball skills. So two really, really significant ads for the Oklahoma Sooners, two four-star players. And you mentioned it. I mean, Oklahoma is now just sitting behind Alabama, Notre Dame, and Texas for one of the top recruiting classes in the country. And yeah, they're not done. Like we, we keep hearing, you know, Ryan Yates, Peyton Bowen, David Hicks. I mean, three guys who are very highly coveted Malachi Coleman. I mean, another four-star player who Oklahoma is really trending in a good direction with all of these guys have the potential to end up in Norman in the end up as part of the 2023 recruiting class. And to me, that is just incredible what this group of assistants and Brent Venables and the whole, you know, support staff is doing in Norman to set this team up for that first season in or that move to the sec to really have them with a top flight recruiting class dalen smothers by the way the other Thank running you. back that you were thinking of uh, in this class who again is blue chip four four star kind of kid for oklahoma i've just loved taking in some of the reaction to uh, obviously in particular the anthony evans commitment because that commitment alone and parker like he shared with us, calling it a 50-50 recruitment at the beginning of last week. He said on Friday when the commitment came down, basically when he woke up on Friday, when we all woke up on Friday, it was his knowledge that Anthony Evans was not going to pick Oklahoma. And by obviously the time that the commitment was announced, Anthony Evans committed to Oklahoma. So that just gives you an idea of the way that this staff is closing right now on these recruitments. We got, I think, a glimpse of that, John with uh, last year's signing class, right? I mean, it was a mad dash to the finish line in Oklahoma was very, very successful across the board, flipping some recruitments and getting some guys on board that really kind of weren't ever on Oklahoma's radar until the new staff came in and took over. So man, this staff, they, they really close well. They are recruiting their tails off. And again, the just overarching reaction I said it at the time, and let's just double back down on it now. I'll give my man Mike Steely a little bit of credit. He was the first one to kind of uh, take his little pot shot at one Lincoln Riley. But that comment that Lincoln Riley made about the ability to recruit better at USC and just all of the all of the the pieces of USC job from a recruiting standpoint that made it better than Oklahoma. John, it continues to age like rotten milk. I thought it was a tactical mistake from Lincoln Riley at the time, just simply because I don't think you bite the hand that feeds you professionally. And Oklahoma was the hand that fed Lincoln Riley professionally. And now the fact that Brent Vittables and this staff is doing what this staff is doing, it just makes Lincoln Riley look terrible. And USC's not recruiting to the level that Oklahoma has been recruiting. It just, again, everything's feeling rosy, right, in Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah, if I was Lincoln Riley's PR person, I'd probably at this point tell him, hey, just quit trying to compare the two. You never win that when you're trying to talk about Oklahoma and USC. It's just not working out well for you. Just focus on USC. Just move forward. Do your commercials, being all that kind of stuff. Why you went out to L.A., get a little bit more profile, but it's fine. 
Oklahoma is going to be just fine. All of the predictions about Oklahoma's recruiting being dead in the water back in May. Oh man, those were, those are a little early. You, you kind of slept on the undertaker and, and in June, July and August, he just sat up right at you and went ahead and tombstone pile drived the recruiting classes into submission. So Parker, you know, Parker talked about this being a top three class. This could end up as a number one class in the country if things fall right. I mean, you never know what's going to happen over the next six, seven months, but everything just is really trending in a very favorable direction for Oklahoma. You talked about closing. I have little doubt that Oklahoma is going to be able to close this thing out come national signing day, just like they did last year. They had two months to put together a recruiting class after Lincoln Riley left, and they put together the number eight class in the cycle. So that was pretty impressive. Now they have a full year to, to work on this group and, I have zero doubt that this is going to end up as a, one of the best recruiting classes in the country in 2022 coming up next, Scott Frost. Come on, man. Like this is not the way to start off the season on the hot seat. You just made your seat even hotter. And we'll talk about that after I talk to you about this. Like, are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stone? Well, what's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit. It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. Stop kidding around. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different, drive high, get a DUI. Again, thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. Make sure you go check out one of the other great shows on the Locked On Podcast Network. NFL season is right around the corner. Your favorite NFL team is being covered here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Just search Locked On and your team name, and you will find it. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I love listening to the Locked On Cowboys podcast every day. I, I listened to them for years, even before coming on the network. So Marcus Mosier, Landon McCool, those are my guys. Make sure you go check them out if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. But we got it all covered here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Josh, Scott Frost doesn't have it covered. He's got nothing covered. What is going on with this guy? Nebraska was playing really, really well against Northwestern. Casey Thompson was looking really good in the first half of that, of that game, making some really good throws, making some plays, good reads on the read option, and, and actually like recovering from some mistakes early. There was a one that was a bobbled snap that he kind of caught in midair, rolled out right, and completed a pass. He looked sharp. And then the second half happened, and it just all fell apart for Nebraska's similarly to what happened a year ago. So most of you watching this know what happened between Nebraska and, and Northwestern. But for those of you that are watching and don't really understand or know what happened between Nebraska and Northwestern, what had happened was Nebraska at the beginning of the third quarter, a pair of Anthony Grant rushing touchdowns, the second of which was a 46-yard scamper into the end zone following a Northwestern fumble that gave Nebraska, a 28-17 to 17 lead over Northwestern. Okay, hey, looks like early third quarter, about nine, nine minutes left in that third quarter. Plenty of football left, but looks like Nebraska is very much well on their way to a season-opening victory, one that they had to get in Dublin, Ireland, over Northwestern, who most pundits you talk to or listen to don't think is going to be all that great in 2022, right? Okay, just win the game, no big deal. What does Scott Frost do? inexplicably John for no reason leading by 11 28 to 17 after a pair of rushing touchdowns a turnover that you just forced and cashed in on Scott Frost decides you know what screw it we're kicking an onside kick we're going to see if we can we can recover this thing 
They, of course, do not recover said onside kick. Northwestern promptly uses the short field to go down and score. And all of a sudden, it's back to a one-score game. And, of course, Northwestern goes on to uh, win the game in the second half. I thought defensively, Nebraska was just terrible in this contest. Coming out of it, the, you know, the final stats that you look at in this thing, Helinski, John, it looked like a really good Big Ten quarterback versus Nebraska's defense. That's not really something that Helinski has been for a lot of his tenure playing for Northwestern. He finishes with 314 passing yards. The way that Northwestern rushed all over Nebraska late, I thought was a bad sign for the Huskers. And Northwestern finishes with 528 uh, yards of total offense. The fact, though, that it all boils down and probably if you don't onside kick at the game, I mean, look, we don't know how it plays out if Scott Frost elects to kick deep, John. But honestly, probably you win the game. You probably, just the way things were treated, you probably do win the game if you elect to kick that thing deep. It's not going to be the only bad head coaching decision we see in college football or in the National Football League this season. But the fact that you are, according to CBS Sports, John, there were two head coaches in all of college football. They did their 0-5 to five rating, 5 being... Uh, win or be fired the hottest of hot seats there were two coaches that they determined fit that distinction Scott Frost was one of them for you to be on that hot of a seat and to make that inexplicable of a decision in a game that opens your season it could be the table setter for you I just I'm wowed I know that we've seen bad decisions by head coaches and we'll continue to see bad decisions by head coaches I don't know that there's a worse decision than that one for a head coach on a hot seat in their team's opening game. I mean, it just, I'm bamboozled. I'm, I'm bamboozled. I mean, it was a high risk, low reward potential thing. I mean, I mean, high risk, high reward, you get the ball back and you can go score and get up three, three scores. Maybe that works out. But how often do we see, you know, the kicking team recover onside kicks? It's not very often. This is not like going for it on fourth and one from your own 40 yard line, you know, where you potentially give up better field position. I mean, that's a risky decision, but, that's one that more, more people would understand, but you're up 11 just in the third quarter. It's really early in the football game and you're, you're making this call. It just does not make any sense. You're given Northwestern a short field when your defense isn't necessarily playing great and momentum completely changed, but let, let's hear what Scott Frost had to say about the decision he made on Saturday. You know, in hindsight, uh, didn't work so anytime something doesn't work you want it back uh, we've been talking to the kids about being aggressive and attacking this thing for weeks and I think they did that um, part of it was we had we had a couple things that we wanted to be aggressive on we had one earlier that we wanted to see if we got the look we wanted and we we got a look is really good for it and uh, I made that call so that's on me um, you know, at the at that point in the game, I thought all the momentum was on our side. I thought if we got it, we could end the game. Um, and it, the way we were playing, uh, you know, I, I felt at that point like uh, like we had a really good chance of winning the game, and I felt like maybe we were the better team. And, you know, I, you, you can't really foresee them scoring 14 straight uh, and us sputtering after we'd played – well to start the second half on offense so again those are excuses if I had it over I wouldn't make the call 
I mean, it's it's ludicrous, man. So you're playing well at the time, but you make that decision. There's like nine minutes left in the third quarter. So even if you do get the ball back and you go and you score, what are you what are you looking at? Four minutes left in the fourth quarter or in the third quarter before you head to the fourth? I mean, still a lot of time. But say you get it and then you still have to kick it away. I mean, there's still plenty of time for Northwestern to get the ball back. But you, like you mentioned, you make him drive the field. You kick it deep and make him drive the field. That gives you a better chance of putting them away if you make them go on a long, you know, a long drive to score a touchdown or even kick a field goal. You eat time off the clock. Like the clock is your friend. You want to get rid of it. Giving them the ball in a short field that gives them more time to actually mount that comeback. And I, I think the other part of that is just how the offense also went into the the toilet. Like he made a momentum changing decision with that call that didn't work out and it just completely deflated that team that I thought played well in the first half, even though they were losing uh, at the half and then, you know, played well in the, in early in the second half, but then an inexplicable, inexplicable decision by Scott Frost. And I I'm, I'm with you. I don't know how you make that choice when you're up 11 with momentum like that's when you say maybe you just don't believe in your defense. Maybe you have zero faith that your defense is going to be able to make a stop. Cuz maybe that's really what it says is okay, we might be up 11 points now, but I don't trust our defense to be able to hold on to that lead, which ultimately they, they didn't. And so if we're looking at it from that perspective, maybe it was the right call, but I still don't think you can do that. You kind of have to make those decisions maybe a little bit later in the game. Like say, you know, you're up 11 and there's five minutes left to play or something like that or eight minutes left. I don't know. Maybe there's never a time that that's an okay decision. It just seems, it just seems too risky. Not something I would do. And I'm, I'm all for coaches being aggressive. I love a fourth and one call. I love a fake punt, fake field goal. But when you're up 11, it just doesn't make sense to me. And you're obviously on the hot seat going into this season. And you've got a program, John, in Nebraska that, now has lost seven consecutive games dating back to last season by single digit final scores, right? I mean, a ton of close games that Nebraska has lost. This is a team, your program, right? They're just begging you, Hey, position me to win a football game. And instead you gamble and roll the dice. It just, you know, for a head coach that could very shortly be handed his walking papers, I just was flabbergasted that he would make that decision. What we need to talk about next, John, is, okay, now that we've seen Nebraska Northwestern, and we saw the decision inexplicably that Scott Frost made, and we saw what that defense gave up to Northwestern, have, have your feelings changed at all about the trip to Lincoln? Not at all. I mean, I felt good about this team going to Lincoln anyway. I mean, I thought there was going to be a bit of a kind of feeling out period for them when they got on the field, but I don't think that's going to be the home field advantage that maybe they think it's going to be, because I don't know if this, this fan base is going to be like all fired up, ready to just put it on Oklahoma as they come out on the field. I think they're going to be sitting back kind of with bated breath, wondering, okay, how are we going to screw it up this time? You know, like, are they going to be able to walk in to Memorial stadium confident as a fan base and that football team, are they going to be able to walk in confident knowing that they can beat Oklahoma no, not necessarily because they know that either them as a team or their coach is going to put them in a situation that doesn't necessarily allow them to be successful. We've seen it. I mean, we can talk about how they were really close in a lot of those games. Well, what makes the difference in close games? Quarterback play, 
getting stops, special teams, and coaching decisions. Well, when your coach is making poor decisions, your quarterback's turning over the football, and you're not getting stops, you're not going to win close games. It doesn't matter that you play a lot of close games. You're going to lose them if you have if you miss out on those three things. And it's seemingly becoming a trend that under Scott Frost over the last year, poor decision-making, quarterbacks turn over the football. Again, Casey Thompson at Texas was a guy that took care of the football pretty well. So it was a bit surprising to see him throw two interceptions. But at the same time, when you're trying to get momentum back, maybe you're going to press a little bit and try and make some plays that maybe aren't there. Um, and then your defense isn't able to get stops, like no stops in the fourth, you know, the, the second or third and fourth quarter. That doesn't help you. Um, you're not going to be able to win games. And so I feel really confident about Oklahoma and their offense going into Lincoln and kind of being able to do whatever they want. You know, like Eric Gray, I mean, we, we haven't seen huge production out of him, but he had a pretty good, he had a pretty good outing against Nebraska last year. Like he played well. He didn't have a hundred yards rushing, but I think he had a, a hundred total yards in that game. He had a good yards per carry uh, average. And so I feel pretty good about them being able to make plays through the ground or on the ground, through the air. I think it'll work out. I think the defense is going to be able to make stops for as solid as I thought Casey Thompson played. I mean, that's kind of the same guy that we saw in the second half against Texas last year, a guy that wasn't able to make the plays in the second half to keep Texas ahead, allowing Oklahoma to come back. And so I feel really good about it. And how do you feel like, does that change your perception of Nebraska heading into that week three matchup? It does. Yeah. It, it changes my perspective of Nebraska pretty dramatically and obviously for the negative, for the positive for Oklahoma. I mean, to me, based on what I saw, and this is a dangerous game and let's be careful playing this game, but we've only got what we've seen in week zero to go off of. And Northwestern was not thought of to be this team that was going to be, I mean, Northwestern was a bad football team in its own right a season ago, John. And I've got a ton of respect for Pat Fitzgerald and everything that he's accomplished at Northwestern. But you don't have me convinced after week zero that all of a sudden Northwestern is a team that's going to win seven, eight games and be a contender in the Big Ten West. I don't think they are. I think they're one of the worst teams still in the Big Ten West. And the way that Nebraska got pushed around, Skaronsky is one of the best offensive linemen in America for Northwestern. He is. Beyond that, okay, you know, what does the rest of that Northwestern offensive line look like? I don't think good enough to push those guys around from Nebraska the way that they got pushed around. I don't think good enough for Halinski to sit there and drop back, do his taxes, and throw for over 300 yards versus Nebraska. So I saw a lot from the Huskers that I just flat out thought was terrible. Uh, I, I don't like the direction that Nebraska is headed. I do think there's a little bit of something to be said for the fact that this team sees the way that Scott Frost panicked in making that decision. It cost them the game. They lost it. Now already they're off to a bad start. They're, you know, Scott Frost is not going to be fired the night after Oklahoma goes in there and I think wins by 30 or 35 points over Nebraska. I think it could be that lopsided, John, because the buyout won't drop until October. But I think for all intents and purposes, if Oklahoma goes up there and based on what I saw from Nebraska's defense – does to the Huskers with Oklahoma's offense, what I think Oklahoma's offense can do to the Huskers based on what we saw in week zero, man, I think effectively Scott Frost's tenure is going to be done really as soon as that game's over. And it's just going to be ticking down until you get a couple of weeks later into October and the buyout's done. Because look, 
after week zero, I mean, you tell me, Nebraska's not beating Oklahoma, okay? Illinois, I mean, I, I, I don't know that they're beating Illinois after what I saw from Illinois versus Wyoming. They're not winning at Purdue. I don't think they're beating Minnesota. They're not winning at Michigan. They're not beating Wisconsin. They're not beating Iowa. That is a bad Nebraska football team that we saw. Yeah, and the schedule is not good for them. I mean, the Big Ten's tough. It's a tough team. It's a tough conference, similarly to the Big 12. I know people sleep on the Big 12 a little bit, but things aren't going to go well. Maybe Nebraska, maybe Scott Frost is trying to like force the buyout. Like, hey, I want to make every bad coaching decision. I'm going to tank this team. You're going to have to pay me this buyout just to get rid of me. I doubt that that'll happen. But maybe they'll just be so fed up with it and the the national kind of coverage on Nebraska will be so embarrassing that that just be ready to be done with it. Uh, you know, and it's, it's crazy to think about this too, for a, a once proud program like the Nebraska Cornhuskers to got, kind of see how far they've fallen, you know, like as much as we make fun of Texas, like five and seven was kind of like the worst season they've had in a while. Well, Nebraska has been worse than that for much of the last decade. Uh, you know, since they got let, let go of Bo Pelini, like Bo Pelini was kind of like the peak of the last, you know, 10, 12 years for that, that program. And so you just don't, I have no idea what's next for them because this is not the answer. Like Scott Frost is proving time and time again that he's not the answer. And it wouldn't surprise me if the boosters just decided, you know what? Fine. Oklahoma came in and embarrassed us. We got to make a decision. Here's seven and a half to go away. We're going to start now. We're going to start fresh right now. Boosters do funny things with their money sometimes. So they might be willing to write that check to just go ahead and move on and, and start a new era Nebraska Cornhuskers football, but let's talk about the other game, the game that's going to be coming up for the Oklahoma Sooners this week, which we'll get into in more detail as the week progresses. But the UTEP Miners, for all the talk that uh, UTEP Miner number one fan Jacob Cooksey was has been doing on the Locked On Sooners uh, YouTube page as well as our Twitter account, man, they went in, they lost by eighteen to the University of North Texas. And respect to North Texas, they are a pretty solid, you know, Group of Five program. But, man, you get rolled by 18, it's not looking too good for you um, for Oklahoma. So we'll, we'll talk more in detail about this as, as the week goes on and, and just talk more about what we think Oklahoma is going to do. But I think there's going to be a great chance for a lot of the, the depth players to get a lot of playing time this week. Yeah, which really should be not a huge surprise. Congrats to Seth Luttrell and – North Texas down there. The Palindrome score, 31-13, to 13, winning that one uh, in week zero, going away. UTEP, it is what it is. It's a scrimmage for Oklahoma. We knew that going in, and this past week really just reinforces that. I agree with you. We should get uh, a nice look at really a bunch of players for Oklahoma. It'll be problematic if that's not the case for OU in this week one, but here it is. It's game week. Can't wait. We've made it. And thank you so much for being a part of Locked On Sooners for the last nine months, you know, here on the YouTube side of things and just kind of rolling with us through the offseason. We've had a blast, you know, talking about what we think is going to happen and projecting out what uh, we think the season's going to look like. And now we get to see what the season is actually going to be. So we're excited about that. And we're going to get into Big 12 picks later this week. We'll talk about the game. We'll give you our keys to the game later in the week as well. So make sure you're tuned in here on the Locked On Sooners podcast, wherever you get your podcast, whether it's on the audio side or on YouTube on the video side, make sure you're checking it out. Let us know what you think the keys to the game are going to be. Who's a player, either a starter or a depth chart guy that, or depth guy that you think uh, is going to have a big impact or the player that you're most excited to watch this season. 
We'd love to hear that over on the YouTube side. So make sure you drop a comment there. We're going to get a depth chart from Brent Venables on Monday uh, afternoon, I imagine. So we'll have that to talk about on the next show. So stay tuned. For Josh Helmer, I'm John Williams. We'll catch you next time. Boomer Sooner.